in this series, we're, we're walking through the book of Philippians. And up to this point in this series, we have looked at all of Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we got last week to Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. And before we really dive in today, I want to ask you all a couple of questions. And I'm just going to kind of just try to walk through this message today. I feel the Lord very specifically on this. Um, But here's a question that I have for you. Is the Christian life a, a matter of passive trust or active obedience? Is the Christian life a matter of passive trust or active obedience? Is is the Christian life all God's doing, all our doing, or is it a combination of the both? Another way we could kind of ask this question, is salvation all God's doing, or is there a response on our part as human beings to the command to believe the gospel? When we look at Scripture, we can see that it's very clear that there's God's part, which is sovereignty, and man's part as well. We both play a role in the Christian life. And that's what Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. In these two verses, Paul very clearly shows us that both God and the believer, that's you and me, humanity, we all have specific responsibilities. The believer's part, we're going to call this sanctification. It's a word that maybe you've never really heard of, but it's this word of sanctification. And we'll give a little depth of what that is in just a moment. The other part is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is this. God is sovereign and God can do anything he chooses, anything he desires. He has the wisdom to do anything he desires to do and he can do anything he wants to do in humanity. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's God. We're his sons, we're his daughters. He can do anything he desires. Sanctification, though, is more of the progressive work of God, and it enables a believer to become more like Jesus. Sanctification is a process, it doesn't happen overnight. Sanctification requires energy and it requires effort. That's really what we're going to look at today. And these two scriptures that we're looking at in Philippians 2, 12 through 13 show us that God is sovereign and he plays his role. But it also tells us, it also shows us that there is energy required for us as believers to live a life that is pleasing and fruitful to the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at today. Before we do, I just want to pray over you. Lord, we thank you for what you've already done. But Lord, you're not done. Do more in this room. Speak through me. Minister in this room. I pray today changes hearts and lives in the room and watching online. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this. Therefore, my beloved... As you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What's the first word you see in this passage of Scripture? Therefore, it's not a trick question. It's it's the first word, therefore. One person caught it, all right? 
therefore. All right, there's an old rule of thumb that says anytime you see the word therefore, you need to look and see what came before it. So here, this word therefore ties back to what Paul just said, and it's connecting to what he's getting ready to say. So to in, order, in order to understand verse 12 and 13, we have to understand what precedes it. Well, verse 9 and 11 are what precedes verse 12 and 13. Let's look at this. Therefore, there's that word again, all right? So just pay attention to that word. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to highlight just a few words in this. I want you to see them. Number one, Jesus is highly exalted. Jesus is given the name. Number two, Jesus is given a name that is above every other name. And at the mention of his name, Jesus, Scripture tells us that every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, what shall they do? Number four, they will confess. What are they going to confess? They are confessing the lordship of Jesus. Here's what I want to tell you today. You might not confess Jesus as Lord right now, but there will come a day when every person across humanity will bow at the feet of Jesus and say, you are Lord. Every knee will bow. And so we look at these three verses here. We see that this high exaltation of Jesus is then followed by verse 12 that says, Therefore, as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation. And when you look at verses 9 through 11, you can make sense that we want to obey Jesus because he is great and Jesus is triumphant and Jesus is powerful. Why wouldn't I want to obey somebody like that, right? And that's good, but that's not all there is to this. I, what I'm saying to you is not false, but I'm just saying to you, if all we do is just look back to 9 and 11, we're seeing something that's incomplete. Because that's not all that this is connecting to. Because like I just said, verse 9 through 11 also begins with therefore. So it's also pointing to something that already happened. So we need to go back to verse 5 through uh, 8. And it says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, God form, human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross that we'll look at next week. But if we look at verse 5, it says, have this mind among yourselves. What is that mind? The mind of Christ. So that's what Paul's saying here is that we in the church need to think like Jesus. We need to have the mind of Christ. And it tells us that as Jesus has that mind and it begins to lay out in verses 6 through 8 what the mind of Christ looks at. Let me just, let me just highlight these for you. First thing we see is that Jesus was in the form of God. What does that mean? Jesus was God. This is talking about the Trinity. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Jesus was of that triune being. But it says that he gave that up for you and for me. And what is the mind of Christ? Well, then it says, then he emptied himself. He became a servant. He humbled himself. So what's this saying? Because he emptied himself, you empty yourself. Because he became a servant, you become a servant. Because he was humble, you become humble. And he was obedient. And this word obedient is one of the key words in today's entire message. And we're going to look at it in a little more in depth in just a moment. But let's just, let's try to get past therefore, all right? So this therefore in verse 12 is basing this obedience of ours on what just happened. And we see two things just happened. First, the great exaltation of Jesus that Anthony spoke on and did an incredible job last Sunday. But second, we see this great exaltation of Jesus was shown to be a consequence of or a reward for the obedience of Jesus. So here's how we should interpret this and see it. Since Jesus obeyed. Since Jesus emptied himself, since Jesus humbled himself, since Jesus obeyed, he became a servant and was rewarded with a high exaltation, we too should therefore keep on obeying because we too will be exalted just like Jesus. That's what this is saying. So what's that mean? We have responsibilities on our end. If we want to be exalted, and we're going to talk about that, if we want to be lifted up, and Scripture says that we will one day sit there in elevated places with God. If we want to experience that, we too should have the mind of Christ, and we should act like Jesus, and we should obey. And listen to me, if we miss this context of what's happening here, we're missing all of what Paul is trying to say to us. So we have to get this. Real quickly, I want you to look at the next word. It says this, therefore, my beloved. This word beloved is very important here when we understand this. Paul is not speaking to one person here. All right? He's not even really speaking to just one people group. Paul is addressing all believers here. The Greek word here used in verses 12 through 13, there, there's, this is the Greek language, every single one of these words that Paul is using are plural words. What I'm saying, Paul is speaking to a group. Paul is speaking to people, not just one person. Paul is not saying to the pastor, your beloved. Paul is not saying to the prophet, your beloved, to the prayer warrior, to the missionary, or to the highly gifted Christian. No, Paul is addressing the entire Philippian church, but he's also addressing all future believers that include you and me. He's calling us. He's saying we are beloved. So I want you to understand something. I want you to write this down. I want you to get this. All of Scripture is this way, but Paul is very specifically speaking to we first, me second. Catch this. This is, this is huge. I'm going to try to teach you guys today. There's a lot of depth here, okay? I, I enjoyed studying these two verses as much as I've ever enjoyed studying really anything in Scripture. We first, me second. The next word I want us to get here is this word obeyed. Everybody say obeyed. I think this word is crucial for us. The word obeyed is the, is the compound verb it's a Greek compound verb, hupakuo, all right? 
It's where we get the English word acoustics. I want you to hear this. And this word obeyed has the basic meaning of placing oneself under what has been heard. So what it's really referring to is as a Christian, we would place ourselves under a teacher or under a rabbi. We would, it's placing ourselves under that. And then therefore we submit and we obey. That's what it's talking about here. That's what this word means. It means placing ourselves under the authority of what is heard, and we listen, we submit, and we obey. I want to make sure everyone understands me today. Hear me. Obedience is a condition or a requirement of the Christian faith. Obedience is a requirement. And sadly, in the church today and in the world today, we love to talk about grace Who doesn't like some good grace, right? I like some grace. Can you add some extra grace on that, right? We like to talk about grace. We like to talk about tolerance. We like to teach on all of it. We wouldn't even experience grace. And I'll tell you, grace is amazing. Grace is abundant. I have experienced grace more than all of you, all right? He's been good to me. That's even one of the things Paul says. Like, I failed as much or more than any of you. But for many of us, grace and obedience, it's like they don't go together. For many of us, what I think it is, is obedience leaves a bad taste in our mouth. Well, I think it's because we haven't got Philippians 2, 3, and 4 yet that says, don't be selfish. Be humble. Live for others above yourselves. You see, the problem with obedience for many of us is we still like ourselves too much. And so obedience is contrary to our flesh. You see, here's the deal. We want the grace without the obedience. We want the blessing without the effort. We want heaven without sanctification. But it doesn't work that way. Are we getting this? But I want you to hear, I really want to drive this home. Paul says to the Philippian church, I commend you. Everybody say commend. I commend you because you have always obeyed. You have always obeyed. And I want to encourage us today with this core principle of the Christian faith. Keep on obeying. Don't stop. Do not let the world influence your faith. Keep on obeying. All of Scripture, not just the parts you like. Keep on obeying to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel, Philippians 1.27. We must keep on obeying. I want to give you this. Obedience is the true test of our love for Jesus. Obedience is the true test of our love for Jesus. And I believe that obedience is the key to discovering God's will for your life. Just as much as grace is key to our faith, so is obedience. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to get this next statement I'm getting ready to make. I don't want us to think here at Destiny Church that as a Christian, all I have to do is say yes to Jesus one time, and then all I get from here on out is grace, and I can live any way I want. Let me say it again. I don't want us to think at Destiny Church that all I got to do is say yes to Jesus one time 
and it's grace from here on out and I can live any way I want because that is not true. It's not true. Yes, the Christian life is marked by grace. But more importantly, and this is in your Talk It Over notes, on the back of your Talk It Over notes or on, online, you can find it either place. But the Christian life is a life that is marked by obedience. Christian life is a life that is marked by obedience. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 15, we've looked at this here before, but Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Now, and I, I said, I, I, we've hit this, but I want you to understand, it's not like Jesus said, if you love me, you're gonna do what I want you to do. It's not like some dating relationship where they're like, if you love me, you're gonna prove it. by do-. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what he's saying here. It's more of a because you love me. You're going to want to do what I want you to do because we're in relationship. I love this woman on the front row, my wife, and I want to do things for her, not because she's going, you better. What kind of relationship would that be? No, I want to do things because I love her. The obedience that I'm speaking about today and the obedience that Paul is teaching us here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 is an obedience based on love, not an obedience based on finger pointing and condemnation. Do you hear this? We need to understand this. I also want you to hear, get this. Obedience and sanctification, this process of becoming more like Jesus, they go hand in hand. You can't become more like Jesus without obedience. First Peter, Peter says this, you are not forgotten for you have been chosen and destined by Father God. The Holy Spirit has set you apart to be God's holy ones. This idea of set apart and holy ones is sanctification. This is what it is. Then it goes on to say this, obedient followers of Jesus who have been gloriously sprinkled with his blood. I want you to catch this. You have been chosen by God the Father to be set apart, sanctified, so we could say it this way. You have been chosen by Father God to be sanctified, obedient followers of Jesus. Are we getting this? We're going to go a little deeper here, all right? Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Everybody say work out. Work out. Now, to work out in the natural It requires effort. Here's the deal. If it didn't require effort, every one of us in this room would be Instagram models. Right? Because if working out was easy, all of us would do it. In the same sense, spiritually, to work out spiritually requires effort. If it didn't require spiritual effort, We'd all be Billy Graham, right? Seeing thousands and thousands of people saved, but working out requires effort. The Greek word translated workout means work in order to bring something to completion or fulfillment. We could say here this idea of workout means produce or bring about or cause it to happen or affect the outcome by your effort. Now, something I want you to understand here is because I've, I've interpreted this scripture half-truth for a lot of years, okay? 
I'm going to explain this, but I want you to hear me. Paul is not speaking to non-believers here. Paul is speaking to Christians. It's important you catch this. This idea of work out your salvation is not referring to the initial act of salvation. Once you hear me, I want to teach you just a little bit. Meaning, when Paul says work out your salvation here, he is not talking about the moment you say yes to Jesus for the first time. When you say yes to Jesus, when your prodigal son or daughter comes back to the Lord, they don't have to work to produce their salvation. God is not saying, get, Paul is not saying, hey, get cleaned up and put some skin in the game before I give you grace. That's not what he's teaching here. I want you to hear this. You don't produce sal- salvation. Another word would be justification. You don't produce that. You can't bring about your salvation by working harder. God does this through faith and faith alone. Do you hear me? I am not telling you today that your family members and friends have to work out and produce their salvation. It is a gift of faith that comes by Faith and believing in God alone. If you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. You do not have to work for it. But the idea of work out your salvation here is for people who are already believers. And Philippians 1.6 tells us that God is working out in us for our good. So this idea is talking to Believers, Paul is not talking to people who were not yet saved, telling them, hey, you need to work hard in order to be saved. Rather, he's talking to those of us who are already believers, and he's telling us, I want you to hear me, to live out your faith, to work out your faith, to flesh out your faith. Hear me, there's going to be some effort required. Another way... It's going to cost you something to be a follower of Jesus. Take up your cross, the Gospels say. Deny yourself. Follow Jesus. You know what? To take up your cross requires effort. I can't just say yes and then do what I want to do. It requires effort. Another way we could think of this and look at this is this word discipleship. We are all called to be disciples of Jesus. We never stop being disciples. We are never to stop growing in our faith. The word discipleship means the process of becoming more like Jesus. It's sanctification. To live out or to work out your salvation, we need the ongoing, everybody say ongoing, process of discipleship. This is why table groups are so important. This is why these conversations around your table at your home are so important. It's a process. Something else I want you to catch, and maybe this will make it go ding, ding, ding in your brain here, but the word salvation that we're looking at in in, uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 12 is referring to our future salvation. Because you see, Paul preaches on more than one salvation. 
What are you talking about? This is our yet to come. It's talking about resurrection. It's talking about our eternal life. That's what Paul's talking about here. Your future salvation. That is yet to come. So let me, I know I've thrown a lot at you. Let me try to tidy this up and just make people in the room not be like, oh my gosh, what's Pastor Chad saying? All right? I'm not teaching heresy. All right? Paul is not telling Philippians they need to make their salvation happen. Salvation initially, justification, is a free gift. You cannot earn it. You cannot work for it. It's a one-time act of your faith connecting with God. But salvation here in verse 12 that Paul is speaking about is about deliverance yet to come. It's about our eternal life. It's saying, listen to me, to see this future deliverance, to see this event that is yet to come, it requires daily discipleship, continuous effort, sustained effort. It says it requires striving. Philippians 3.14 that we'll look at in a couple of weeks, but it says this, with this goal in mind, again, this is Paul. He's talking about work. This, is, this verse connects to what we're talking about today. Work out your salvation. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward Call, what's he talking about here? Salvation yet to be known. What's that meaning? Eternity. Future deliverance. Paul says, I strive, I work toward that which is not yet known. I'm saved. I've been forgiven. But I can't just now sit on my laurels and wait for Jesus to return. Now I must daily work out and get in shape physically. Are we getting this? All right, I don't work to get saved, but I do work to stay saved. It's really what we're talking about here. Also, when he says, work out your own salvation, I think we've taught this wrong. Sometimes we emphasize the your own of this passage. If Paul is saying something, this is something that each person must do on his or her own, but that's simply not true. Yes, listen to me, we have things as individuals concerning our faith that we have to work out. I have to work things out on my own. But the context, we have to take into context what Paul is teaching here. And from Philippians chapter 1 verse 26, even up to here, Paul is talking about Christian unity. He's talking again. Remember, I told you he's using Greek plural words here. He's not speaking to Chad Blancet by himself. He is speaking to all of us. He's not speaking to an individual. He's speaking to a Greek, a, a group of people, and he's using that Greek plural word. I don't know if you've ever heard this or said this. I, I have. It's incorrect. But if you've ever said, well, you have to work out your salvation, and I have to work out mine. That is not correct. That is not what Paul is teaching here. It is not. Go study it. Go dig at it. When we say that, it is completely different. Paul was not saying, you, Ed, work out your salvation. You, Jason, work out your salvation. No, he's talking to the collective group, and he's saying, as a whole, collective body, destiny church, what he's saying here is our salvation, I want you to hear me, will not be complete until we are of one mind 
and one spirit united together in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, Tabitha, you get it figured out all by yourself, and Chris, you get it all figured out. No, he's saying, when we work together as a body, this is what, look at Philippians 1.26, this is all one long teaching. Collectively, we work it out together. Something else that's important, just as there is faith required of you to receive salvation, there is faith required to work out your salvation. Faith never stops. I have to have faith that he will finish what he started, Philippians 1.26. I have to have faith that he is currently working in me, Philippians 2.13. We'll look at that in just a moment. But I also have to have faith that I am his, that we are his. And we'll look at that in Philippians 3.12, faith. Now this next part. This is one that, uh, don't throw stones at me, all right? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is one of those verses when I was a kid that I remember people using to instill fear into people. Boy, you better work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You better be afraid of God or God might damn you straight to hell. Anybody else remember that? I tell you, I lived with this mentality for so many years as a kid, even into my late teen years. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I lived with this, and even after Tasha and I planted our church, I was terrified. I was terrified that if I messed up even a little bit, God was going to <laughs> strike me dead. I remember I, I would have literal picture in my brain of God having this giant eraser. And every time I messed up, God's, well, Chad messed up again. That's the mentality I had, and I had this mentality that the rapture was going to be happening, and I'd be left high and dry. And it might sound comical, but I'm telling you, I was terrified. And listen to me, I remember as a kid, I would show up at my parents' house after school or my grandparents' house, and if they weren't home, and they should have been home, <laughs> terror. And I would start calling every single holy person I knew. And listen to me, this is comical, but this is, this is how I was messed up. This is not, I'm not making up a story to sound comical. This is where I was. I would call every holy person I knew. In those days, I had phone numbers memorized, right? And I would call, and they wouldn't answer. The panic would go, oh, no. I remember crying, oh, no. I'm, you know, and like somebody answered, and it was just like, oh, you know? And, and then, cause why? Because they were holy. And if they, if they were answering, then I knew they didn't miss it, right? But the cool thing is, is back in the day, some of you don't remember this, then I would hang up with ever, not ever saying a word. Why? Because we didn't have caller ID in those days. And they didn't know who was the weird person that was calling me. And I was, I was like, all right, now I can eat snickerdoodles that grandma made because now I'm going to heaven, right? But I'm sorry. I just don't think Paul is telling us here, be terrified. Yes, God is holy. Mm. He's holy. And we need to fear him. And we need to obey him and we need to worship him. But I personally do not believe that God is telling us as believers that we need to live in a continual state of anxiety and nervousness and anxiousness over our faith. I cannot wrap my mind around this. And this is so contrary to what Paul teaches throughout the New Testament. Fear 
and trembling here is not a threat. Like, oh man, you better work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is about to bop you. And I, don't, I just, no, it's since you have obeyed and continue to obey, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for God is amongst you. God is working on your behalf. God is lifting your burdens. So fear and trembling here is not a threat, but rather it's reverence. It's awe. It's respect. It's honor. It's wonder that God Almighty is working in my midst. I'm so awed by the fact that the creator of the universe is working in my midst. Therefore, I want to obey and I want to work out my salvation because he has been so good to me. It's holy fear. It's reverent fear. Romans 8, 15, and 16 Paul's speaking about the same thing here. He says the resurrection life, he's talking about salvation yet to come, you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life like fear. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? Why? Because we know who he is and we know who we are, father and children. Man, so good. So let me say this before we move on to verse 13. The fear and trembling here that Paul is speaking of is not the fear and trembling of a low-life wannabe who's done something wrong and he's just waiting to get caught. I need to hide. I hope God doesn't. That's not what it's talking about. The fear and trembling here is like that of a child who is simply awed and stunned by the fact that a holy God, the God of the universe, is present in their life and he's working in and through us for his good pleasure. It's awe. It's wonder. We got this? All right. So let me close up by telling you the band can return. We've seen our part in the sanctification process. Our part, listen to me, I want you to hear me today, it takes effort. It's ongoing. It's discipleship. It's obeying. It's unity with other believers. You think, well, all I got to do is make sure I'm okay with God, but I can hate everybody else. Nope. Not true. Not true. You, you have to be united with other believers, other people. Every color, every faith. We have to, I'm not talking about faith in the sense of, well, I don't have to serve God. My, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about we have to be united with the body of Christ. And finally, in verse 13, we see Paul's, God's part. Paul says, for, everybody say, for. This word for connects back to what Paul said in verse, 13, in verse 12 when he said, whether in my absence or in my presence, what he's talking about is he said, hey, God's present and he's what matters anyway. This is what he's saying. He says, for it's God. You don't need me there. He says, you don't need me there. Why? Because it's God who's working in you anyway. And again, it's not in you as an individual, it's in you collectively. God is working in you collectively both to will and to bring about his good pleasure. Why does Paul, here's my, kind of my last question for us, why does Paul add to it is God who works for you? 
Why didn't he just stop with work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's God who works in you? Boom, end of sentence. It would be so good, right? And it would have sounded right. But why does God, why does Paul add to will and to work for his good pleasure? Well, look how it says it from the Living Bible. For God is at work within you, again, collectively, helping you. What this means here is God is at work in you, and he helps you collectively want to obey him. What's this talking about? This is about our individual desires and our collective desires. God, listen to me, Destiny Church. God is trying to get our collective desires connected to his desires. But he, why does he add a little bit more? Because it's not just about having right desires. Because the Pharisees, I think, had right desires. Right? But their actions were wrong. It's not just about having the right desire. It's about having the right desire and putting some work into it. Paul goes on to say, and then God helps you do what he wants. This is about works. So what's this saying today? God's working in you, and his spirit is giving us, the believer, collectively first, and then as an individual, he's giving us both the desire and the strength to live for him and work for him until he returns. That's what this is saying. So when we put all of this together, let me summarize it. What we have in Philippians 2, 12, and 13 is a call for believers to live out what the gospel has produced in our hearts because the advancement of the gospel is at stake. And we do this in reverence and awe of the Lord, but we can also move forward with confidence knowing that God is working in us and through us. So the question that we wrestle with a little bit today, and I want you to even wrestle with these a little bit in your talking over groups, as New Testament believers who are called to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, are we doing that? Are we living lives that are worthy of the gospel? Are we obeying God? Are we working out our salvation collectively and individually with fear and trembling? And are we doing our part to advance the gospel? That's the question. That's what God's speaking to us today.